Welcome to Chattachesis. I'm your host, Deacon Matt Hallback, PhD, and I'm also a deacon of the Diocese of Des Moines, Iowa. I'm your host of Chattachesis, a podcast series for clergy that helps them find creative and fresh ways to share the gospel message and promote missionary discipleship. This episode is brought to you by the newest K-6 catechetical program, Christ in Us and Cristo in Nosotros. It sets the standard for faith formation in today's world. Check it out today at sadlyreligion.com forward slash CIU. We think you'll agree that this innovative program will change the future of catechesis. Today, I'm very excited to have a couple of friends and colleagues on board. We're going to be chatting with Dr. Tim O'Malley, Director of Online Education at the University of Notre Dame's McGrath Institute for Church Life, and also Dr. Hoffman Ospino, Associate Professor of Hispanic Ministry and Religious Education at Boston College. To both of you, welcome to Chattachesis. Great to be with you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Why don't we start real quick just to further introduce yourself. We'll start with Tim. Tim, why don't you say a little bit about what you're doing there at the McGrath Institute at Notre Dame? Sure. Yeah. So I work at Notre Dame. I have two jobs. Uh, The first is that I work at this Institute for Church Life uh, and I do things related to digital education for those who work in catechesis. Uh, I am an academic director of a center for liturgy. So we do liturgical and sacramental formation catechesis with clergy around the, the country, and of course, uh, those who are working in catechesis. Uh, and then I have an appointment in theology at Notre Dame. I teach in catechesis primarily to our uh, both undergrads and grad students here at Notre Dame. Wonderful. Hosman, how about yourself? What's going on there at Boston College? Sure. Uh, I teach uh, uh, theology, uh, practical theology and religious education uh, in the School of Theology and Ministry at BC which also doubles up as a a house of uh, uh, priestly formation for the Jesuits and uh, men from about seven, eight different uh, religious orders. They come nationally and internationally. And uh, so it's great to to form uh, clergy or future clergy alongside uh, lay leaders, women and men, who are thinking about ministry, but also taking their degrees uh, into other fields, uh, non-profit organizations or teaching and and missionary work, et cetera. And I also do some research, largely focused on uh, the Hispanic uh, experience uh, in the United States of America, just kind of taking the polls on how things uh, are moving when Hispanics are present. You recently uh, helped to edit a collection of essays um, on catechesis. Do you want to share a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, this is a, a project, you know, inspired in the new uh, uh, directory for catechesis, the 2020 directory for catechesis. You know, since Vatican II, this is the third one, you know, that we have had in, in, for the Universal Church, a document guiding the uh, vision and hopes for catechesis uh, worldwide. So a colleague of mine, Dr. Teresa O'Keefe, and, uh, and I well, brought together 12 uh, colleagues, you know, one of them being Tim, as, as a matter of fact. You know, some of uh, Most of us uh, actually with connections to Boston College, either as professors or, or as graduates from the program. And the idea was to reflect, you know, just take uh, one of the many topics that uh, the directory somehow highlights, you know, and just reflect upon them, imagining what ways or what models of catechesis can emerge uh, from from these different ideas. So 12 uh, great essays, you know, uh, very exciting. The name of the book is Together Along the Way. 
Wonderful. And where, where can someone find that? Uh, Crossroad uh, public, uh, Publishing Company. So you, you'll find them there easily. You know, you can go to their website or through Amazon.com. All right. Or my good. office. You could come to my office. I mean, it'd be strange <laughs> if you just show up in my office, but I have an extra copy. I'll give it to you. He's selling his three copies anyway. So that's. <laughs> and if we come to your office, do we get a signed copy? Uh, sh sure. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you. Sounds like you're both doing a lot of great work and your work is intersecting with clergy and forming them to be good catechists. Before we get theological or too sophisticated in our discussion about formation of clergy today in the, in the sort of changing landscape of catechesis, I want you to think anecdotally for a little bit. I want you to try to think back to your childhood and your experience of catechesis or religious education. As you think back to that, um, and whatever years you land on uh, in your imagination, what was the role of the priest or the deacon? Were they present during those catechetical sessions? Were they, in fact, the catechist? Uh, what sort of role did they play in your catechetical formation as a child? I'm just throwing that to, to either, one, either one of you who wants to start. Sure, yeah. I mean, so surprisingly, uh, I actually, as, particularly in youth ministry, our, our priest at our parish, Father Joe Brando, he, you, you know, he would come into our youth group once a month and work through a variety of topics with us. Uh, often the sort of things that no one else within our sort of youth ministry experience, we had, a, you know, I grew up in the South, we had 65 people coming to our youth ministry events. Uh, and, you know, we worked through like Paul's letters one semester and worked through, um, the Gospels and other semesters. So, so he was really actually quite involved and uh, really delighted in it. And I think it gave me a model moving forward. And then the Diocese of Knoxville as a whole just had this. I mean, we used to go out in the summer and we would go for, uh, to a monastery where we would get uh, sermons and preaching and common study around major topics. And it was all run by clergy from the Diocese of Knoxville. So that, that would, I would definitely think that would be rather unique to have such a clergy-run um, formation like that. Yeah, I think it probably is a little unique. Um, when you're a small church, everybody's got to do something. So, uh, you know, there was not a lot of money growing up where we grew up uh, relative to hiring for staff. Uh, you know, so every church was a pretty poor church. And so you, you, you made what you could. So, Hosman, to you, when you were a child, your catechetical experience, what was the role of the priest or deacon? Yeah, that's interesting because uh, I grew up in Colombia, South America, and I got to tell you that most of my catechetical formation, formal catechetical formation began largely when I was uh, a teenager, you know, mm. I mean, as a child, uh, most of what I would call today catechesis happened, you know, in my house happen in the surroundings, I, you know, growing up in a Catholic culture, a culture where Catholicism is everywhere, you know, you breathe Catholicism, you know, through practices and uh, the language, the way people act, you know, the images that we would see at, see at home and so on, but not only in the private realm, but also outside, you know, so all my neighbors were Catholic, all my friends were Catholic at school, Catholic religion was taught in a public school and so on. So there was, I, I did not encounter, you know, the idea of a priest catechizing formally until later in, in my life. However, what I can tell is that the priest in all these environments, whether it was home or public life or even the school, the priest was always, uh, always perceived as a referent, you know, as a man of God 
whose words were you no know, words that would lead to God. So there was this reverence for the priest and and and, and a repository of you know what the tradition is. You no, know? but uh, I, I I don't recall having ever been uh, catechized by a priest except for the homilies. What you would hear uh, uh, in. Mm-hmm. A, in so what you're describing, you know, today we would call family catechesis or the directory might refer to as family catechesis. It's really something we're trying to, to, to foster and to support. And it was something that was happening so naturally where you were from. And I find that fascinating that here in the United States, family catechesis for, for many seems like a relatively new phenomena and a new idea and something that demands all these diocesan and, and, you know, Episcopal Conference energies and resources, but where you're from, for example, in Colombia, and I imagine in other uh, Latin American countries, it's very organic. It's very natural. It's just the setting of things. Uh, yep. Yeah, I mean, I would say that, you know, what made it possible in many ways is uh, a whole environment, you know, mm. for centuries, Catholicism has imbued the, the culture and education, ways of being, uh, the ways in people which people make uh, decisions and so on. So the religious experience you know, somehow merged with the public experience, larger public experience. And uh, so, yes, I mean, uh, you, you, you find yourself, you know, swimming in the waters of Catholicism and family life, you know, echoing, you know, what you would uh, today would call formal catechesis or family catechesis, no? But uh, that's breaking down, unfortunately. You know, in Latin America and many other parts of the world where you used to have those kind of enclaves, you know, social mm-hmm. enclaves, uh, are looking more like uh, Europe or Western Europe or North America these days. So I think that, you know, whatever item I and my family might have taken for granted back then, you know, in terms of uh, churches and the role of the clergy and the role of uh, religion in our lives, uh, requires more intentionality today. We're, we're kind of verging on the conversation around what is the catechetical landscape today, particularly in the United States, and, and with that landscape, what are the opportunities and challenges we, we see, or maybe don't see, but should. And right away, the directory, the new directory comes to mind, and its emphasis from the very beginning on that landscape and on what it describes as globalization, which I think you're just touching on, Hoffman, but this sort of Eurocentric, um, you know, uh, everything, a culture is becoming homogenized wherever you look and, and the good and bad of that. Um, is it that, I want to go back to a, a, a beautiful kind of, symbol you just used of the water swimming in the waters of of the environment the catechetical environment i'm gonna put this question to you tim are we just running out of oases here in the united states is the water supply short what is causing this lack of the type of organic environment that hoffman's describing these sort of familial waters and whatnot that uh, lead to good formation of young people yeah i'm a little less sure that there's, and maybe Hossman will disagree with me, that there's any, there's going to be a sort of necessary return to this. I think cultures change and the, the, the sort of disruption of a, you know, one of the gifts of this closed culture was that things were passed on easily. One of the curses of it is that you didn't often critically examine uh, things that were sort of negative about this dimension of, mm. of a kind of cultural landscape, right? So, uh, you know, I've, I talked to some of my friends in Malta and they still have a lot of this sort of 
comprehensive culture, but one of the negatives to it is it often sort of escapes from the particularities of the gospel, right? It becomes occasions for festive life, domestic life, and there, there isn't sort of that commitment. And so I think, you know, we are at a period of time in which we're seeing rapid transitions in urban areas, rural areas. The directory itself speaks of the creation of a digital culture, which really transcends all of our particular cultures mm -hmm. uh, to almost become this sort of universal space where um, speed and uh, quickness and... These uh, micro bursts of information. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So when that gets to take over, so in some ways, you know, I, I think that all of this is happening. I'm not sure we're going to return to a, a sort of culture that's going to automatically pass itself on. What I would love to see is a return to uh, togetherness, matter, particularity, living together, uh, knowing people even in your parish, um, you know, sort of a, re, a reconstitution of parish life. So I, I, I think that's what's happened is parishes have changed and I'm not sure they're going back to what they once were. I think one of the things we need to deal with, and I think you brought up a great point there that I want to continue in a discussion with both of you, which I think we're getting into what is accompaniment and what does that mean today for us and for clergy. Um, but you, you had used, I'm going to go back to what Hoffman said about the image of the priest at his time and the reverence that they saw the priest with, with, and this is just a holy man of God. And my goodness, over the last 50 years in the United States, we've seen the lack of holiness among some clergy and the, and the disasters they've caused by the way they've lived their lives and treated other people, mistreated people. Um, we are... We'd like to think, let me just say, I'd like to think we're, we're, after, we're, we're beyond all this now. I mean, the clergy abuse and the scandal, we're beyond this, but we're really not. This is, uh, we're really dealing with different stages of trauma, different stages of uh, grieving, different stages of, of beginnings to recover and so forth. So, so Hossman, that, that idea of, of the reverence, you know, and to your point, Tim, about we also pass on the curses of this sort of uh, of the culture, uh, what have we learned from from the last fifty years, and how about the priest in particular, and the witness he should give, and the witness that unfortunately was given at times a counter witness to who Jesus is? How do we deal with all this from a catechetical standpoint? What kind of impact does that have on a catechesis? Yeah, as, as much as I would like to disagree with Tim, as a matter of fact, I agree with everything he said. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you're absolutely right, Tim, you know, uh, that environment, you know, that somehow presented itself or was sold, you know, from generation to generation as comprehensive and, you know, almost homogeneous in which everybody was Catholic and I am Catholic because my mom is Catholic and then mm -hmm. my mother is Catholic because gran my grandmother was Catholic and so on. Uh, the, the downside of that is that it, it allowed many Catholics and many Catholic families to take faith for granted, to take uh, the gospel for granted, to take the sacraments for granted, you know. So we, in many ways, uh, and, and actually that applies also to the United States of America, Catholicism in the 1920s and 30s, 40s, you know. So this is not exclusive of Latin America or Asia or other parts of the world. So in taking you know, the religious practice and the religious values for granted, you know, what was lost is the intentionality. And I think that the, when you, you know, frame it, you know, in the last half a century and so on, what have we learned? I think that on the one hand, Catholics as baptized individuals 
have learned that we cannot take our identity for granted, period. No, we just can't. We got to literally, you know, give reason for what we believe. You know, we got to go out and negotiate, you know, values. We got to negotiate spaces. We have to negotiate uh, who we are because we don't spend time, you know, in completely religious environments, you know. I mean, most people are not priests, nuns, monks, mm -hmm. you know, bishops. So people are, you know, spending time in factories, in offices, mm -hmm. in schools, in playgrounds. You know, Zoom I'm meetings. With the students <laughs> and meetings, Zoom meetings, and just name it, you know. And, yep. uh, and, and, and the question is, you know, as we kind of, un, you know, our lives unfold in, in those contexts, we got to figure out a way of integrating the faith, you know. Mm -hmm. And what's happened is that when this cocoon that somehow existed out there that protected us from being intentional about our faith, you know, somehow disappears culturally, then we find ourselves forced to be more intentional. And it also happens that, you know, the role of the priest as a catechist, as an educator in the faith, also becomes more intentional, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, people are demanding more from their priests, mm -hmm. They're demanding more from their catechists, they are demanding more from their theologians. So I, I have seen it many times, you know, when people sit down in, a, in a, a, a church, you know, and I see this more here in the United States of America than any other parts uh, where I have visited or been, is, you know, when, when, when a priest gives you a bad homily, you know, or a homily <laughs> that is not grounded, you know, yeah. at least, uh, and engaging, people right. complain. You know? Go right to Facebook and start blasting them. <laughs> and I think that they're right to complain, you know, they're right to complain because right. it's good that, you know, we all want more, a little bit more, you know? So more intentionality on the part of the priest as a, as a, as a, as a, as a catechist. I, so Tim, listening to Hoffman about the more, more from our priests, more from our deacons, our catechists, do you agree? And then what is that more? Can you, can you give some, some flesh to that? Yeah, for me to, yeah, sure. Uh, again, I don't agree with Hoffman. One of these days, we're going to have a deep, abiding disagreement in our conversation. <laughs> It'll be fun. Um, but I think part of the more is a, a, a rapid transition of what it means to be a catechist as priest or deacon, right? Uh, what the responsibility is, is to cultivate co-responsibility with the baptized and the faithful. And it's not just to sort of be like, all right, it, this, you know, I'm in my parish. It's a, it's a somewhat embarrassing parish in, in South Bend because the priest, it's a very deadly place to be. We have six theologians uh, that he regularly preaches to, as well as, you know, 15 or 20 people in the parish with MDivs. And, and so, you know, it really isn't the case that the priest in our parish is the universal source of knowledge. And I think yeah. the priests know that. Uh, but that doesn't mean the priest is in some sense a professional religious. So the deacon is professional religious in a different way than I am and can oversee the whole. And therefore, part of the, the role of the priest and deacon as catechists has to be then to cultivate my own work of evangelization and catechesis as a member of the baptized faithful in my particular place, recognizing my gifts in the communion and other than, you know, linked to other gifts, right? So that, that there has to be this sort of real sense of co-responsibility, that the mission of the church is not being played out just in those Sunday morning programs where he regularly stops in, or even in the preaching, but that actually it's the, it's the transformation of the world in Christ, right? And so I don't think we, I don't think we've seen that. I, I don't think seminary formation programs are necessarily forming young men to think about their work in this way. I think most 
seminarians in particular are graduating uh, their seminary uh, and being ordained thinking like, I am the source of the answers and not necessarily thinking about co-responsibility. To me, it's the integral change that needs to take place. Yeah, I was just perusing the, as most people do, perusing the program for priestly formation (laughs) in its latest rendition. And there's a lot of wonderful stuff in there about catechesis and the formation of clergy and and a strong focus, as you can imagine, on mystagogia and sacramental catechesis and as the priest being the principal celebrant of the sacraments and and in that sense, the principal catechist of them. Um, But to to your point, there's not a lot in there uh, about co-collaboration or uh, co-workers in the vineyard, which, as we know, was a a document from our our bishop's conference back in 2005 that's now resurfacing because of the emphasis Francis is is placing now on catechist as an official ministry in the church from his motu proprio mysterium antiquum. I think this is a nice segue into that. This this motu proprio, if you're a priest out there that is not aware of it or a deacon, uh, mysterium antiquum, check it out and um, see what the Pope has to say about it. But underneath that document, it's, it's clear that what Francis has in mind is what you're talking about, Tim, which is this co-collaboration collegiality. Hoffman, how do you see, um, wh- how do we equip priests and deacons? What sorts of skills, what sorts of attitudes, what sort of orientation do they need to become these kinds of collaborators, or to use another word, companions? Okay, so here we are. I think, you know, that... Uh, before we imagine ways to collaborate about catechesis, it's important to uh, define well, or at least, you know, what we mean by catechesis. Uh, in my conversations with either students or, uh, you know, priests who are working in parishes, sometimes I do consulting for parishes and dioceses, uh, I mean, there is an, uh, somehow a very narrow understanding of what catechesis is, you know, Catechesis is usually limited to whatever, you know, you do on, a Sunday, on Sunday school, you know, mm. or maybe for an hour as you, as you prepare children for catechesis. Yeah. And then what the priest sees himself as doing, you know, is I am the one who exe- you know, uh, exercise judgment in hiring a good DRE and maybe giving an okay to buy a series of books, you know. And then my role as the catechist, as the chief catechist for the parish is over, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a very narrow, narrow understanding of catechesis, no? Of course, I would love to have, to, to, to see more priests, you know, actually knowing more about catechetical theory and also engaging the books, you know? I, I, I don't know how many priests actually sit down and read the series that the publishing companies actually put together, you know, and then make a, make a decision, you know? I think that many of many pastors simply outsource that to the religious educator in uh, in their communities. But if we start imagining catechesis more as you know as this exercise of sharing the word in multiple settings through multiple venues, you know, not only in the church in, through the liturgy, but also as they visit families, as they create groups, as they accompany the community, as know, they live their lives, but mm-hmm. their lives completely, you know. So if we look at the all-encompassing you know, world of life as catechetical, then the sky's the limit, you know? And I will I'll just, to make it short, two practical pieces that I would say uh, for, for, for deacons and priests, you know, to grow in their understanding and love for catechesis and contribute to that. One, 
I think is key. I would invite the, 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 the clergy to read more catechetical documents, you know, just read more cate- read the, the directory for catechesis, read mm-hmm. Catechesi Tradende, read the, the Vatican, no, the Second Vatican Council, read, you know, what's emerging. I think that there's, there's a wealth of information and they will, they will find quickly, I'm pretty sure that many are already familiar with these documents, but rereading them, one finds oneself, you know, entering into mm-hmm. a, a, an exercise of discerning you know, that the ministry of the word is such a rich opportunity to expand horizons and that will help them in their homilies and the catechesis and so on. And the second that I would, uh, that uh, second piece that I would say is ha- no, uh, engaging other clergy and other lay people in conversations, in catechetical conversations, you know, in which the priest find himself catechized. You know, it's really bad. I think that you know, when 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 clergy, but also a theologian or uh, any any pastoral leader, thinks that because you received a graduation or because you re- a degree or because you were ordained, you don't have to learn anything else. Well, you that's know? our confirmandi as well. That's yeah. our young people but, too. But find yeah. find find places to be catechized and spaces to be catechized. And then your, your approach to catechesis will change. I can assure you that. So a renewed vision and a, and a, a vision that's you know, supported by the church's tradition. Um, that's a good place to start. You recommended some good resources. Let's go over to you, Tim, um, kind of staying with that, that question of uh, how do we help de- priests and deacons become better co-collaborators in this work of catechesis? Yeah, I mean, I want to highlight another dimension of this, which is... Um, I think one of the priest's role is to, you know, as a directing sort of the academic director of the Center for Liturgy. So um, in both their work in prayer, right? So catechesis, I think, uh, to Hoffman's point, catechesis becomes the thing that I do to communicate knowledge to you. It becomes almost entirely verbal. It leaves behind all of the other dimensions. You mean the narrow, the narrow vision of it? Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it becomes rather narrow and it leaves out, uh, silence, contemplation, initiation into prayer. And I have to admit, when I attend most parishes in the United States, I feel like priests are reading a phone book during liturgy. They're, um, and I, you know, in some ways they've been formed into this, but how important it is to propose the seriousness of what's happening, for example, in the Eucharistic liturgy and the joy, the joyful seriousness, but the joy that to have someone actually pray uh, the text rather than anything else. So all, to, I would say part of it has to be uh, fewer words, more contemplation, more love, more beholding, uh, and uh, a deepening life of prayer. That's what people want today. It's a sort of escaping from a endemic speed and movement. And so part of it has to be uh, more occasions of contemplation, of deeper reflection, of silence. Uh, and so I think that's something, that's an area where it would improve all of catechesis in the church if I think those who are ordained uh, thought more deeply about uh, all those different types of ways of knowing. I agree. And I think to going back to Hoffman's point about revisioning catechesis, that includes, you know, revisioning the role of the priest and deacon in catechesis and, and in particular uh, the role of, of the witness of the clergy in catechesis. What, what is it, their presence, what does that signify when they're present, how they're present? 
uh, the things they're doing when they're present, all of those things factor into kind of a living, a living catechesis, a living sharing of the word through the authenticity of one's own, one's own witness. And that's something that I, I don't care what seminary it is out there. Uh, that's a hard thing to form in somebody, uh, just that in, not only the intentionality, but the self-awareness uh, that one needs, uh, the dispositions that, that are required for other people to say, that's Jesus, that's Catholicism, that's faith, that's living the faith. And we all, we've all had those moments with different figures in our lives, and I've had plenty with clergy. Um, but you can't teach those things well. How, and I think what you're touching on, Tim, is a wonderful call, a call to prayer, uh, to kind of reclaim, rediscover that intentionality and how important intentional witness is in our role as clergy and catechesis. Yeah, uh, Go ahead. I mean, yeah, no, I think that's right. I have a very practical suggestion. I think a lot of priests should find time to spend uh, more time with something like Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. I think mm. the, our assumption is that you can't learn anything here, right, because now I'm a fancy academic. Uh, and what I found spending time with those who do Catechesis of the Good Shepherd is it's taught me again to pray and to wonder at the mystery of salvation that I'm bestowed. And that these catechists, I think, actually could really uh, help uh, priests and, and deacons and bishops return to their sort of vocation as mystagogues, not just as, um, you know, CEOs. Can you give a quick elevator speech for those of us who don't know what Catechists of the Good Shepherd is? Sure, it's a Montessori approach. So Montessori would be uh, a, a sort of almost like a workshop-esque approach where uh, students encounter young people between the ages of three and 12 years old, encounter the word of God through materiality and matter. The space of deep silence and contemplation, my son uh, did his sacramental formation through Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. He just received his first communion this year and learns oh, a good wonderful. deal about the Good Shepherd. Yeah, so. So I want to end this, uh, and our time always flies, especially with guests like yourselves. Very rich conversation. I want to thank you both. Uh, but before we say our official thank yous, let's let's talk about a final note of hopefulness. I mentioned that a, a clergy, there's a lot that I know that given a wonderful witness to the gospel alive in the midst of the community. What are you seeing out there that gives you hope that clergy, with all the responsibilities and with all the criticisms that get heaped on them, what are you seeing that clergy are doing in general that, that's showing you they're moving in the right direction as catechists? What are you seeing there as signs of hope? Well, I would say that, uh, I mean, it would be good to, uh, difficult to generalize, you know, and say all priests are doing this or all deacons are doing this. But let me sure. just uh, do it with my pastor, you know. Wonderful. I, I want to highlight uh, the work of uh, Father Paul O'Brien, who's the pastor of St. Patrick Parish uh, in Lawrence, Massachusetts. Uh, fascinated man. And I think that something that he's doing well as a catechist He's integrating, you know, in his ministry intentionally. He, and and I, I just find it well, the ministry of service, the ministry of kerygma proclaiming, and the ministry of celebrating. Do, doing these three together, you know, the way he serves and invites people to serve, the way he preaches and invites people to, to, uh, to listen and to engage in the liturgy, the way he does it when, he's, when he speaks and teaches. I think that, you know, this is a man, uh, I mean, and not because he's my pastor, but, you know, I think that this is a man who has literally sit down at some point or at least in prayer and reflected about what it means to be a priest, you know, and a priest who is a, who is a catechist. 
And I think that, you know, I get to see this, it's obvious, and, they, and not, I'm, I'm not the only one who sees it as a theologian. Other parishioners see it as well and hear it as well. And I think that, you know, I have not seen it in other priests. I have not seen it in other, uh, in, in other deacons, you know. So there is something about, about certain priests who are more intentional, and I think that those are the ones who are making the difference in the world of catechesis. And the props you just gave your pastor won't get you out of your monthly tithe. So I know you're speaking the truth. So, uh, Tim, what about yourself? So signs of hope. Who, who's doing something right here in catechesis? Yeah. So I actually mostly have hope. I think if I look at conversations I've had at a diocesan level, uh, I see great change, great uh, focus on co-responsibility. I see the recognition that most bishops, priests, deacons, lay folk recognize today that uh, the culture had fallen apart that once upon a time worked. They might be struggling to rebuild it, but they're trying to do something. And so I, I don't find stasis as a whole. Uh, I really don't. And uh, particularly in the United States, I mean, I've been to other places in England, sometimes where it feels a little bit more despondent. Uh, but I think in the United States, we're mostly in a place of hope. It's challenging. Uh, but of course, I don't know, as someone who's studied a lot of history, I think uh, generally the gospel is challenging as a whole. So uh, I don't think it's, you know, it's not like the third century had it easier. So uh, I, I suspect that um, I see mostly hopeful signs, people thinking very strategically together in collaboration, their clergy and lay staff together. Well, I want to thank you both. We've covered a lot of ground today in our conversation on catechesis and clergy, the role of clergy in catechesis, the formation of clergy in catechesis, and the call for more from our clergy in catechesis and what that more is and how priests and deacons might try to meet and be that more. Um, the challenges to trying to do that, but also the hope that we're seeing already signs of that more happening. And even though we don't always have the answers to things, we're all trying together as church to to do better and to make the light of the gospel shine more brightly. I want to thank you both. We've been chatting with Dr. Tim O'Malley, Director of Online Education at the University of Notre Dame's McGrath Institute for Church Life. That's a mouthful. And Dr. Hafsman Ospino, Associate Professor of Hispanic Ministry and Religious Education at Boston College. Thank you both so much, gentlemen, for being on the show. And as we always do, uh, I ask a guest to uh, give a blessing to our listeners, to myself. So I think, Tim, you drew the short straw. I'm just kidding. You were very excited to pray. So let's hear it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, you have called us to preach your word of love to the ends of the earth. Renew in us a spirit of joy, of delight in the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Give us a spirit of gratitude, of wisdom, and of strength to preach your word to the ends of the world. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And you were a little nervous about giving the prayer. That was wonderful. Thank you for doing that. Gentlemen, again, thank you for your time and for being on the show. Thank you very much, Matt. All right. Thank you. That's our episode of Chattachesis for today. Again, I'm your host, Deacon Matt Hallback. We'll chat with you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Chattachesis. Head over to sadlyreligion.com forward slash podcast to hear more. And don't forget to request your sample and trial of Christ in Us and our bilingual edition, Cristo in Nosotros, at sadlyreligion.com forward slash CIU.